This is Fintech Chatter, presented by Tier One People, leaders in Fintech Executive Search. And I'm your host, Dexter Cousins. Today, I'm joined by Victor Zeng. He's the CEO of MX51 and previously the co-CEO of Assembly Payments. MX51 partners with banks and acquirers to deliver exceptional merchant experiences. Through a white-label payments-as-a-service platform, MX51 seamlessly connects the world of commerce into multi-channel payments. Before we start today's show, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone for the support that you've given. It's been a huge year for Tier 1 people, and a big part of that is the podcast. I'm genuinely humbled that so many of you listen and enjoy the show. We've got a lot going on in terms of roles and opportunities here at Tier 1, and we're currently looking for CTOs, GM-level partnerships, and client services, and senior solutions architects and delivery heads. So if you are thinking about a move and something like that um, fits your bill, get in touch at info at tier1people.com. Welcome to the show, Victor. Thanks, Dexter. Great to, great to be on FinTech Chatter and thank you for having me. Great to have you. And it's, um, yeah, it's the first time we've got together since before the pandemic hit. So it's um, really, really great to have you on the show. We would have had a coffee before now, I'm sure, had um, we not had pandemic to deal with. I know it's a bit surreal. It's, you know, it was 18 months ago, but we're in our second lockdown here in Sydney. Yeah. Um, it's almost like back back to the past, like having kids now during school holidays, you know, at home. Yeah, they all, work and they all seem to hit at the, at the school holidays, these lockdowns, eh? I know timing's crazy. Anyway, but we're still, as a nation, we're still very, very lucky compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I thought it would be great if you could share with our listeners a little bit about MX Fifty One and also some of the kind of backstory to the business, Victor. Yeah, sure. Uh, look, so MX Fifty One was spun out about twelve months ago from a company called Assembly Payments. Um, so Assembly Payments, uh, Simon Lee and myself were co-CEOs and co-founders of Assembly Payments. Uh, Assembly Payments had two businesses, essentially two divisions. Uh, there was one division that was a platform and marketplace payments business. It was a direct-to-market brand, and it really did the workflow of payments between buyer, a seller, and a platform or marketplace. And then it had a second division, which was building a white-label payments-as-a-service platform for banks and acquirers. And one of the things we realized about 18 months ago was that it was so difficult to build one successful business, yet alone trying to build two. And it was really tough for the same management team to try to build two of these businesses in parallel. And, and so the board made a decision to spin the two businesses out um, and really focus, give both businesses its dedicated management focus. And the original assembly payments platform and marketplace business was, was basically put into a joint venture with Standard Chartered and really focused in that sort of Asian market. And the payment as a service platform business was spun out as MX51. And I went with that business to focus on MX51. Fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit more about kind of who MX51 helps and who your clients are and you know who some of your competitors are as well? 
Yeah, so that, that's a great question. So look, MX51 is a white label platform, white label payments as a service platform, and our customers are banks and acquirers. And the problem we're really trying to solve is how do you drive the right payment experience um, between for the merchant and really focus on that interaction between commerce and multi-channel payments? And the best way to think about this is to have a think about the disruptors who have really nailed this area. If you think about Stripe, Raintree, Ardian, Square, now these guys have really, really nailed this experience. They've made it really simple for merchants to be able to sell in-store, online, and integrate the world of commerce and reconciliation and marketing and loyalty all together uh, with payments uh, into that one into that one platform. And really what these instructors have done is they've solved for the pain points that merchants need in this space. And as a consequence of that, they've taken market share from the traditional acquirers and banks that, that previously dominated this space. So, so really what MX51 here is focused on is really providing that, that same capability, but instead of competing against banks and acquirers, we want to work with banks and acquirers and provide a white label platform so that they can compete against disruptors. So the assembly business, I mean, you know, went on absolute tear and was a, you know, I mean, one of the big success stories of, of a you know, Australian scaling fintech, Victor. Um, how big is the MX51 business now that you've split? Yeah, so um, I think MX51, we're doing about uh, annualized one, one and a half, just probably one, over one and a half billion dollars in volume process if you annualize the volume. Um, but we're growing very quickly. Um, you know, when we first launched, um, Westpac uh, was a major investor and partner, and Westpac had exclusivity for a period of time. And that exclusivity ended last year. So pretty much our business today is on the back of, of Westpac. And, you know, we're now starting to work and develop new relationships with, with other banks and acquirers. And I think because of that, you're going to see our growth to be exponential um, sort of in the second half of this year and, and into next year. Mm. And in terms of, of how many people, um, how, how big is the business? Yeah, so we, we, when we split, we, we actually, when we did the demersion split with assembly payments, you know, we had about 80 people, 85 people at that point. And then within a month, um, you, know, the, you know, the pandemic really hit. And so we, we had to, like every other fintech, we went through really tough decisions we cut down probably 35% headcount. Uh, we took that down and, and you know, so we're, we're now sitting about just over 50, but we're starting to recruit again. Um, so now we've gone through a really tough period like other, other startups and other fintechs, but now we're sort of back into that growth phase. And so I, I guess, you know, there's been some, you, you touched on some of the challenges earlier, you know, the, having the kind of two different business models the kind of co-CEO model that was required because of those two different business models, um, you know, the investment by Westpac and then being your your kind of main or only client for a while. Sounds like you, you've had some like really tough, you know, kind of, um, I guess, situations to overcome, Victor. When you, when you look back over this last few years, what do you think is the biggest challenge that you've had to rise to? Yeah, I, I, I would say that it's been like a really tough 12 to 18 months. Um, you know, I think with every startup, you know, cash is, you know, having cash and being able to be able to fund your business is so critical. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, 
we, we were looking, we were planning to do a raise sort of around mid last year. And when the pandemic hit, it really stopped those plans, mm. right? And so survival was the toughest part of it. But not only just surviving, but keeping morale high and keeping people motivated and believing that, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, you know, that, that's been really, really tough. Um, but, you know, that's, I don't think we're unique to that. I think a lot of businesses went through the same hardships. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I guess as you kind of, you know, look at, you know, this last 12 months, what would you say have, have been some of the wins that you've had to kind of keep, you know, keep the team motivated, keep yourself motivated and really kind of you know, focused on just pushing forward? Yeah, I think I think what was really positive is, you know, we we had, you know, last year we had, you know, um, April, May were really tough months, right? The pandemic hit, you know, payments volume, you know, w- w- dropped in, especially for a business. You know, we, we've got a multi-channel strategy and um, we've got in-store that's, you know, in live and, and doing really well and e-commerce will launch later this year. But when the pandemic hit, you know, our in-store business took a big hit. Um, and, you know, that, that was really tough, but the great thing was we saw a, a bounce back really strongly uh, starting from about, I'd say, July. But, you know, July, August, September, October, the, you know, the business really went forward and, you know, it was quite significant. By, by December, we were like, we were processing, you know, three or, three or four times the volume uh, compared to January before the pandemic hit, January, February. So, you know, that, that was really positive. And so from a, a, an innovation perspective, um, Victor, I mean, what do you, you know, what do you see in here in Australia in in the space that you're in? I mean, it's amazing. I went to Office Works the other day, and I was seeing Square terminals at Zella, and it's just incredible, right? That we can now, you know, as a as a small business owner, you can pop into Office Works and get yourself a merchant t- terminal and start taking payments. What, what what's got you excited about the space right now? Yeah, there's so much innovation in this space, like in payments, right? And and we Australia's a great market for disruptors to come in and test their proposition because we're such a mature payments market. And so, you know, in the bottom end, so the micro SME end, you've got Square, you've got Zella, and then you, if you move into sort of SME and commercial, you've got local players like Tyro for in-store, but you've got Stripe really dominant, Braintree. And then if you go to the top end of the market, uh, you've got Ardian up there, and, you know, it's such an exciting space. And, and I think where this market is going is, is it's really moving beyond payments. So if you think about, you know, um, you know Stripe and Ardian, really, really great experiences for um, online payments. Ardian's a true multi-channel player, so it's got in-store and online. Stripe's moving that way. So Stripe started off from online um, and now aggressively moving to in-store. So now we're looking at a multi-channel payments world. Because, you know, businesses today, pretty much most businesses operate across in-store and online. So you've got to make that that seamless, that interaction between in-store and online. But what's got me really excited for the future is the the ecosystem beyond payments. So you look at someone like Square, for example, in a closed-loop environment, you know, you've got Square, they've got in-store capability, payments capability, online payments capability. They've got, you know, point of sale but now their ecosystem includes order ahead, invoicing, appointments, Square Capital, and you know there's there's a lot of that ecosystem play. And, and I think payments is at the heart of it, and and at the heart of that data. And then you can really use that to pull together this ecosystem of value added capability around it. Um, no, it's uh, I, I guess uh, you mentioned there it's a, it is a, a hot market, and you know. You talked about some of the challenges earlier, but there was some good news at the 
I think the end of May this year, um, where Westpac had announced some further investment. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, actually, it was a, it was a, it was actually around. Westpac actually didn't come into this round. Uh, they were definitely supportive of it, but we 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 had new investors come in, and we had four sort of major investors come in. Uh, we had Acorn Capital, who are Melbourne-based, great growth fund. Um, we had Artesian come in. Uh, we had um, Commensa, which was spun out of Investec in Australia. Uh, that's Commensa Capital, and then also Mastercard came in as well. So uh, it was our first, call it a Series A round for MX51 since um, since it spin out of Assembly Payments. And so Visa and Mastercard are you know kind of dominant, you know, playing um, very heavily in this space. What do you see as um, you know the kind of the I guess the reason or the you know the the attraction for for a, a visa to come in and and back um oh sorry mastercard to come in and and back m x fifty one yeah so if you have a look at um mastercard's business you know if you think about mastercard you think about credit cards right the issuing side of the business but if you have a look what's happening um and and I'll use examples of this and I would say um you know locally you've got afterpay zip. Um, globally, you've got you know players like Alipay and WeChat Pay, but these businesses both control the consumer side and the merchant side, and so you've got this closed loop environment in some ways where you can drive not just payments between merchants, uh, between consumers to merchants, but you can also drive offers and redemption of offers and loyalty in that ecosystem, right? And so, what you think for Mastercard's business? They they do they have strong issuing relationships with global banks and uh, banks globally. Sorry, and then what they're missing is really that merchant side of the business. So they they're looking to build better capability to engage merchants, and suddenly then you will have this ecosystem effect as well because of these massive massive you know pools of consumers globally. And now if you add in merchants, you can really start using that data to drive sort of offers and loyalty and marketing campaigns. So no longer are you just providing a payment service, but you're also driving relevant offers from the merchants into the right consumer base. So um, we're going to, I'd like to chat with you a little bit around the leadership side now, Victor. And, um, you know, Kenny, you talked about some of the challenges with COVID and, you know, a lot of businesses have um, you know, had to, to look at the workforce and then, um make some cuts and then things pick up again and you've got to hire again. What what would you say from a leadership perspective has been the kind of hardest thing around um you know kind of rebuilding that team and, and kind of you know keeping the culture going as you're going through you know through that kind of down period and then you know the it's almost like you know it's sprung back within you know within weeks when you know when we um you know we look at the the kind of period that we've been through in this last eighteen months. Yeah, I think I think the most important thing is when when things are really tough. I think the important thing is is not to think of all the issues as one big issue, and really to keep saying if sometimes you've got to you've got to break the problems down. Right, there's there's multiple issues, but break them down into distinct issues, and then work through them in a rational, logical way. And as a leader, I think it's really important to be able to do that because um, if you don't do that, then what happens, what I find, is this snowball effect where there's issues here, there's issues there, and then suddenly things spiral, right? So, you know, being able to slow down, stop, break the problems apart into distinct ones and then sort of prioritise on what you work on, I think, is critical. 
Um, and then really being able to then sort of stay passionate and stay hopeful, right? And then, and, you know, making sure that, you know, you bring everyone in the organisation along the journey, being very transparent on the challenges, but at the same time really be able to sort of walk through a pathway forward uh, through, the, through the difficulties, right? And so I think they're really important things. What, what, how helpful has it been um, kind of being able to retain some of the kind of original people from the assembly payments business and now kind of taking you on this next step of the journey? Uh, really critical. I mean, the good thing for us is, you know, a lot of the, the core team is still together um, and that's really important. You know, if you, if you lose, um, you know, if you lose your core team, you lose the key people, then obviously that's, that's really, really hard to rebuild you've got that core team, then it's much easier to build around that core team and to expand. So that's been really critical. And we've been really lucky in, in that aspect that we, you know, we've been able to retain all, all, all our core team together. And um, you've got people, you know, across Australia. Um, how have you, how have you found, you know, with, um, you know, working remotely, has that opened up, you know, the, the talent pool for you um, where, you you know, you've now got access to, to anybody in the world or do you find that, in a business that's still kind of 50 people or so, you still need to get that kind of those moments where you're all together in the same room trying to build something. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it really has opened up the pool for us. Um, you know, the pandemic has proven that you can effectively work remotely, right? And so, you know, most of our people are still sort of coming into the office. Obviously, before this lockdown, we're coming in one to two days a week into the office. Um, and that's worked really well. So the remote side has worked really well. And about a month ago, we went, actually, we changed our, our people and hiring policy to allow full remote working. And so in the last month, we've actually hired uh, three people that are fully remote, two, two in Brisbane, and we don't have an office in Brisbane, and one in Hobart, right? And so that really has opened the talent pool, um, and that's been great. How, how have you found being able to um, lead, you know, and particularly when you've got challenging times that's um... – you know, it's something that we hear more and more where the you know there's cracks starting to show after twelve months of people kind of leading via Zoom that um maybe it's, you know it's it's a little bit more difficult to to you know inspire and motivate people and get everybody on the same page. What's what's been your approach to overcome that and you know kind of still get everybody pulling in the right direction? Yeah, I agree. Actually, I mean that that is one of the challenges. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, we have all hands quite, we have fortnightly all hands and we're all on Zoom, you know, and, and, you know, the challenge with that sometimes is, you know, not everyone has a camera on, so you can't really read the body language across the organisation. But what we try to do is we try to have, uh, once a month, we try to have an event where we get everyone together, um, you know, into the office or, or into another environment where we do an activity or team building, et cetera. So I think that's really important. Um, we're just actually planning our first offsite, and and hopefully the you know hopefully COVID will will not spring on us again in September. But in September we're looking to take everyone to, to a two day offsite. You know we get together. So I think you know remote's good, but you you, you need that you know you need that face to face element as well. I think that's really important. And one of the things we are really looking forward to is once the vaccine rollout is is you know is is um is out there you know once we have the va- most people had the vaccines it'd be great to sort of see whether or not we can get people back into the office more regularly maybe two to two days a week or maybe even three days a week you know because mm. you, you you need that face to face yeah 
And you talked about changing your kind of you know, approach and policies to be remote first. Has that then had a, an impact or a bearing on the qualities and, and characteristics that you look for in people now and talent when you're hiring? No, I think, I think, I don't think so. I mean, I think one of the things it does make really, it makes it really, really important is, you, you know, the communication side is so important. Because one of the things I do miss face-to-face is, you know, if something goes wrong in a meeting, there's misunderstanding, the face-to-face element really helps with pulling someone aside afterwards and say, look, I don't think that quite went right. This is where I was coming from. I think it's harder in a remote setting. Um, you know, we've always emphasised on, on um, you know, finding the right people, but really importantly, culturally, that person's a fit to the organisation. And as part of that, communications is a key element of that cultural fit. And I think if, if nothing, I mean, it really, uh, we've really focused on making sure that in that remote world that we are actually even looking deeply, even deeper in that, in that, that cultural fit and communication side of things. And um, I guess with uh, you know the, the the kind of move that you've seen to being fully remote, what what kind of feedback are you getting from your people as to you know how they how they enjoy it and how they they find it works for them? You know, it's it's funny because uh, um, you know we find that the engineers love remote working. You know, they love their remote working. They've got their free monitors up. They've got their headphones on. There's no one that's going to tap them on the shoulder and <laughs> they can just, they can code away, you know, all day. And then you see the non-engineering roles, you know, you know, it's the business development, account management, product designer. You know, I think in those roles, you see people wanting more to come back to work, um, you know, and, and so it's, it's really by role. But I, I, I do think though, even in the engineering side of the business, I do think most people want to come in at least one day a week. Um, and so that's since, since um, for the last sort of nine months, we've, we've, we've had that at least one day a week. And I think that's worked quite well. Yeah, you know, that, that pretty much yeah. sums up, I think, Victor, every, every conversation that I've had with um, you know, business leaders around remote is that you, you've got this kind of very, it's almost like polarized, right, where the developers and engineers, as you say, all, you know, will work remote for the rest of their life if they can. Um, but others are really missing that human interaction and just being able you know that particularly when you're building something i think it's um it's so important to have that connection with people absolutely i mean communication face-to-face community and we when we actually have we also try for example to try to get when we do increment planning we try to get everyone in face-to-face right um you know so there are certain um, milestones or certain events that we really really focus on getting people in face-to-face mm. So um, we, we kind of talked about some of the stuff that's happening in payments um, that's got you excited. But when you look at fintech a little bit more broadly here and here in Australia, you know, what, what's got you kind of um, you know, excited at the moment and, and what do you think is worth people kind of being aware of? Yeah, I think, you know, you know the fintech community here is quite strong. We've got such great companies. You know, obviously I've got a bias towards, towards payments, but, you look at open banking, you know, there's, there's some great things happening um, in open banking. Um, you know, you think about buy now, pay later, and you look at, you know, the Australian organisations like Zip and Afterpay and, you know, there's Hum and there's OpenPay, there's so many of them. And, you know, you'd say that sort of that's market leading globally, right, in, in that space as well. Um, you know, there's so many great businesses. You, you, you look on the, you know, the, the AFR and every week you hear about an Australian business that's done really, really well, bought by a global company. 
uh, whether or not it's in, you know, things in the education space or the software deployment space or the cloud space, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of innovation in, in the Australian market, which is great to see. Awesome. Um, and what can we expect from MX51 in the next 12 months, Victor? Yeah, I think our focus in the next 12 months really is to work with, you know, you know, different banks and acquirers in the Australian market. Uh, and that's really, really important. I think we've got great product market fit. Um, the next is about sort of scaling that business. And, and so that's that's a focus. The second area of focus is really to drive out and build out our multi-channel solution. So we've got a really great capability for in-store. Uh, we're in current development in online and bringing that sort of install and online together and that multi-channel world and then be able to go beyond um, just install and online payments into the ecosystem of value-added services that we talked about earlier, whether or not it's, it's be able to bring in you know, people with cash flow lending capability or marketing capability or loyalty capability, being able to bring them into the ecosystem um, you know, and building out that solution is in a second area. And, and, you know, the third area is really, it may be beyond 12 months, but, you know, we're having, uh, you know, having a great investor like MasterCard on board and having a commercial relationship with MasterCard, we actually see a great opportunity to be able to work with MasterCard beyond Australia. Um, you know, if you think about globally, they've got over 20,000 banking relationships around the world, and, and we, we really want to leverage that, that relationship for MasterCard to be able to, uh, to, to penetrate other markets. Brilliant. And where can people find out more about MX51? Yeah, look, follow us on LinkedIn. Um, come to our website, mx51.io. Um, and, you know, you know, Google us. You, I'm sure you'll find a lot of press about us recently. Awesome. Well, Victor, it's been great to have you on the show. And you can find me at Dexter Cousins on LinkedIn and Dexter Cousins on Twitter. For early access to new shows, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting the FinTech Chatter page on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a review so it helps me bring on great guests like Victor. FinTech Chatter is presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in FinTech Executive Search. We'll help you launch, scale, and innovate by delivering world-class talent. And you can find out more at tier1people.com. Until the next episode, stay safe. 